Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. John 12, 12. And your bulletin says we'll read through verse 50, but we're actually only going to go down to verse 36. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Therefore the people who were, who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason the people also met him, because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor." Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. 
We have been considering now the gospel according to John for months. And again, we've started off every week with the reminder of John's purpose, and that is that he is not just presenting Jesus, again, as I mentioned last week, but rather he is revealing how Jesus presented himself as the Son of God, who became the Lamb of God in order to take away the sins of the world. That it's not just John's presentation of John's belief, but rather what Jesus had declared about himself. And um, Jesus has, at this point, declared himself as, I am, I am. And so if you remember going all the way back to July 4th, the, the entire message was on, on Yahweh, bringing us a context to go into John chapter 8 about what the Jewish people understood when they heard Jesus say, I am, I am. And so, Ani Yahweh, the Hebrew, is what I am, Yahweh, I am, I am. And so, Yahweh means the one who exists, literally means I am that I am. And so, when Jesus then declared this, he was coming out and basically telling everybody, look, I'm Yahweh. I'm Yahweh. I'm Yahweh incarnate. And at this moment, everybody's kind of wondering who Jesus is anyway. But now, all of a sudden, they're forced to come to this point where this guy now is declaring himself to be God. And he is backing it up with a lot of mighty signs. And so, when you look at this um, slide, are you overwhelmed? With information, I could have put a whole lot more on here. My, my thought process was when I put all this together on here, and I could have put more of these pictures on here, right, that we've gone over, you kind of look at this thing and you're thinking, there's too much information there. So just think if I would have added a lot of more of the pictures. You know, okay, up in the upper left-hand corner, that's, that was back at um, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, okay, when they were, when Jesus was there, and he, and he declared, if anybody's thirsting, let him come to me, right? It was on the great day of the feast, and then he declared that he was the light of the world. And then we, we went into the, the Feast of Dedication, which what we refer to as Hanukkah. And he again refers to himself as the light of the world, and he's going to talk about that again today, a little bit today, more next week. Uh, so let me do a little aside thing here, that this message became two weeks of messages <laughs> yesterday. I mean, as I'm just finishing the presentation, I was like, there's no way I'm doing all this. So don't worry about it. If you're looking at the sermon note sheet, only half of that's being done today. So um, maybe, hopefully, Lord willing. <laughs> Anyways, so um, there's just so much that's going on here. And so think when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem now, okay, you got to, again, put yourself in the mindset of these people. Jesus has been ministering for an overwhelming two and a half to three years. That doesn't seem like a long time, does it? But all this that we've been talking about is only a little subset of everything that Jesus has done in that two and a half to three years. And these people's heads are spinning. Who is he? Is he a blasphemous deceiver? Or is he really the incarnate presence of Yahweh on the earth? Is this the one that we've been waiting for all along? The religious leaders are divided over it. Some of them, like Nicodemus, are thinking, yes, I think this might be the guy, but there are what? They're afraid. We're going to see in a moment. They're afraid to even mention it because they're, they're in fear of the leaders. 
But the overwhelming majority of the religious leaders are what? Say again? Against them. What do they want to do to them? They want to kill them. They want to stone them. They want them gone. And as we saw last week, really it's because he's messing up their positions. They're fearful that the Romans are going to come in and they're going to lose their power. And we've got to check our own attitudes as we consider all these things. And so as we come into this this entrance of the light, and that's how I titled this, the entrance of the light, because that's what's getting ready to happen. He who is the light of the world is now beginning his final week on the earth. And Jesus told us that the darker it gets, the light, the brighter the light shines, right? That the light shines in what? Darkness. And we're told by John, the darkness comprehended it not. That comes from John 1. Do you remember all the way back in the beginning of our series? When we went through John 1, we discussed this whole theme of what was going to go on. The light is shining in the darkness. The darkness didn't comprehend it. Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the one who gave life to every individual who was there around him that day. Do you think about that? How mind-boggling was it? He's the creator. He's the one who's given life. And the life was the light of men. And so every individual who was there that day had a conscience, if you would. Had a spirit that God spoke through that spirit to convict them. And the guy standing there that they're condemning was the one who did it for them. He was in the world. The world was made through him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. But I love the... And I, wanna, I included the, the end verse though. But to as many as received him. To them he gave the right, the authority, the power, the exousia. To be called the children of God. In our passage today, we're going to look at he's, He refers to them as you can become children of the light. The theme all circles together. To be a child of God is to be a child of the light. John declared in his first epistle to the churches, not the gospel, but the epistles, he says, God is light, in him is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth so if you are a child of god you have to be a child of light they they go together we'll come back to this later on but this is the whole concept that jesus is coming into jerusalem with now um i'm not going to go go into the timing but if you again if some anybody wants one of these justin can send it back this is the i mentioned last week this is the the passover the the passion week um, order. So we start off in our passage today that the next day, the next day, okay, so this is the day after the dinner that they just had, but the next day is when he comes in. So this is the first day of the week, a Sunday from our concept, okay? And so again, I believe Jesus, I die for this, that Jesus died on a Thursday, okay? That he didn't die on Friday. You don't get to three days and three nights um, from, from a Friday 
crucifixion, but because of the feasts of Israel, okay? And so that's what's happening right now. There's a fulfillment of the feast. There's a fulfillment of the feast of Passover, and then that's going to blend right into the feast of unleavened bread. And so you'll see the notes on there, and you can look at it, but I don't have time to get into all that right now, okay? But he's coming in. This is the beginning phase of the Passover. Passover proper was on the 14th day of Nisan. But if you read Exodus chapter 12, the Passover process really begins on the 10th day of Nisan. Because on the 10th day of Nisan, you would choose your sacrifice. You would choose your lamb. And for the next four days, you would examine that lamb to make sure that lamb was without blemish. So that when you offered it at twilight, not, I say twilight, Marsh and I, a couple of weeks ago, kind of looked at this, okay? And because she was confused, because properly, I was confused why she was confused, but then after she explained why she was confused, I understood why she was confused. And then I was confused. And so, anyways, but you'll get what I'm going to say. I never questioned what twilight was. Twilight was between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock, because that's what it's recorded as being. Twilight to her was after sundown. And for most people, that's what it is. It's between sundown and the sun gone. But literally in the Hebrew, it says um, between the evenings is literally what it says. And so the beginning of sundown in the Hebrew mind is noon. Because the sun's setting on the other side. It's been rising. It's peaked. And now it's what? Setting. And the second half of the setting is going below the horizon, okay? We, Western mindset, think differently, okay? And it never occurred to me. Never, I didn't even, didn't even process my brain. So if you've ever debated that, that's where that's at, okay? So twilight is actually 3 to 6 o'clock in the afternoon, okay? So, so in Bob's brain, trying to, so talking Western now, okay, between three, 3 and 6 o'clock on Thursday afternoon is when Jesus died, okay? Forget that. Talking Hebrew now. Okay, talking about the Hebrew mind. At the end of the day, on the 14th day of Nisan, Christ was crucified. So the middle of the afternoon for us, the end of the day for them, was one and the same. Okay? John is writing to a mixed bag. Okay? He's a Jewish guy writing to a Gentile audience or a Hellenized audience. Okay? So it kind of gets confusing when you're looking at some of the stuff. And I said I wasn't going to get into this. Anyways, so all this is fun stuff for me, though. Okay? And so it's... It's exciting how this is playing out. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on that day, okay? He's the light of the world coming into Jerusalem, okay? He's, he's everything for them. And what we're going to see is that there are four groups of people. First of all, there is the, the crowd that is crying out. And they're crying out, as we read this, right, as, as Chuck wrote it, read it, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel, then they said, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on the, on the donkey's colt. Okay? Two different passages. The first one that they're crying out is from Psalm 118. Now, Psalm 112 to Psalm 118 were called the Hallel. Okay? Those were the songs of ascent. That as they would go, like during feasts and stuff, and they would be coming to Jerusalem, they would be singing these, kind of like we were saying part of Psalm 119. Um, 
that they would be singing these psalms as they, as they, as they go to Jerusalem. Okay? And, but the, the culmination, the, 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 the one that was at the end was Psalm 118. Okay? And so this is what they're singing this, as they come in, in this mindset into the feasts. Okay? And, and they're really excited about it, again, because these people understand who Jesus is. They're not worried about their power being lost. Do you get it? They have total freedom. This guy's raising people from the dead. He's given, he's given a guy eyesight who never had it from the time he was born. They're getting it. This has got to be him. And so what do they declare? They declare, as we see in Psalm 118, okay, beginning at verse 22 for the context, the stone which the builders rejected has become what? The chief cornerstone. This was Yahweh's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day Yahweh has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, or in the Hebrew, Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Yahweh. O Yahweh, I pray, send now prosperity, or literally success. It doesn't have to mean financial success. Okay? Uh, send, send success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We have blessed you from the house of Yahweh. God is Yahweh, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Okay? So hopefully, as you're looking up there, you see two, two different colors that I've kind of emboldened, right? The first one in the middle is what we see them, see them crying out. Save now, O Yahweh. Hosanna, right? And so they're recognizing him as the Messiah. They're receiving him as the Messiah. But do you note what else is going on in Psalm 118? As they're crying out for this deliverance, this salvation from Yahweh, what's tied to it? Look at the red. We just did the purple. A sa- yeah, a sacrifice. You say the sacrifice of Christ, but... You're thinking hindsight, okay? Right, right. But in their mind, I mean, they're singing this. Make sense? They're, they're singing it, and they may not put it all together. Think of, think of being a Jew and struggling with Isaiah 53. You know, what, how is he going to be, you know, rejected of men and, and all this kind of stuff? You know, just a lot of these concepts aren't flowing together for you right now. But he's getting ready to reveal it to them. And so unbeknownst to them, they're not just receiving their Messiah King, which we'll talk about in a moment, but they're also receiving their Passover lamb. He is going to be the sacrifice that's going to be bound to the altar of the cross. Remember, again, on the 10th day of Nisan, go back to Exodus 12, read it, check me out on this, okay? On on. Nisan 10, 10th day of Nisan, they were supposed to choose their Passover lamb. Now, John doesn't bring out the next couple days, but Matthew does, and Mark does, Luke does, okay? What happens on the next couple days between the time that Jesus enters into Jerusalem and the time that he is crucified? Say again, roll out, Chuck. He's examined. He's examined. Who examines him? Pharisees, Sadducees, the scribes. I mean, they're all coming. They're all taking their shot. And you know what's really going on? They're proving the fact that he is without blemish. 
He's being examined just like the Passover lamb was to be examined. And I've shared this in the past, but what that means is, is so critical because Israel right now, right now, so I'm not talking like right now in the Bible, but like right now, they want a red heifer. They're looking for a red heifer. They've had a couple red heifers. But the last one was disqualified because they found one white hair on its rear end. One white hair disqualified it from being a red heifer without blemish. They want this red heifer because they're going to sacrifice it and they're going to take the ashes and mix it with the water. That's going to be able to cleanse and purify the temple. They've already got all the utensils, side subject. Anyways, a lot of fun, okay? We're living in exciting days. That's all I've got to tell you, okay? It's, it's, it's all playing out. Okay? They've got herds of red heifers that they brought in that they're, they're, they're breeding. They're waiting for this perfect red heifer. Okay? It's going to happen. Revelation 11 tells us there's going to be a temple. Okay? So they've already got the, the, the altar of burnt sacrifice. They've already got the utensils. They've already got a priesthood established and purified. They're just waiting to get the this, this sanctifying water. This is cool stuff. Anyways, but go back to Jesus then. If they can find one blemish in Jesus, one blemish, if they could find one blemish, did you get it? He's not it. He's not the perfect sacrifice. Throw him out. Start it all over again. That's why the battle intensifies. This whole week that we're getting into, that Jesus is about ready to come in. He knows he's getting ready to offer himself as the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. Satan knows it too. The battle's on. The people, they're swept up in a moment. This is exciting. We think it's Messiah. He's coming in. But what they don't get is the timing of it all. He's going to be their Passover lamb. He's going to die at the exact time that the Passover lamb is being offered. The veil of the temple is going to be ripped in two from top to the bottom. Isn't this cool stuff? How coincidental. There is no what? Coincidence in this. God has planned this moment from all of eternity. And the people who were there that day are living it out. Do you think the second coming of Christ will be the same? It will have been planned from all of eternity. And there will be people who will be living when he comes. Again, I shared it a couple weeks ago. But one of the, my favorite lines of a movie or a play that I've ever heard came a week, a year and a half ago, when I got to see the sight and sound production of Jesus. You know, because of COVID, they were showing it for free, right? And I don't know if it was Joe talking to Nick or Nick talking to Joe. And that's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I think it was Joe talking to Nick. Well, Nick, you know he's got to come in somebody's lifetime. How cool is that, right? Just as he's entering into Jerusalem, do you think he could come back today? In the clouds, taking us home? How cool is that? But do we really believe? Well, the crowd did. The crowd is excited. They're singing praise. They're, they're, they're receiving him. 
for who he is. They're, they're giving him glory and praise. Second verse we see comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10, where we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. This is exciting. Behold, your king is coming to you. Because Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 to 8, Thus says Yahweh, the king of Israel. Who's the king of Israel? Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, the king of Israel. In his Redeemer, Yahweh Sabaoth, I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people in the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Yahweh declares... I am your king, period. And I alone am God, period. Can you imagine if you had any comprehension of what of, of these prophecies and the fulfillment of them going on and looking at this guy, this human, this guy, riding in on this donkey, I, well, you saw it earlier before I covered it up, right? He's coming in on a fool of a donkey. Just kind of hanging out, you know, kind of sitting, just coming in. And saying to yourself, is this Yahweh? Is this Yahweh? Did they even comprehend that? This is the battle that they're going through. But look what Yahweh says. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. He's coming in great meekness. Lowly. No pomp. He could have came with, his, with the herald out in front of him. But he did have a herald. Who was his herald? John the Baptist. But John was beheaded. He allowed his herald to, become, to be beheaded. Isn't it an amazing thing to think about? Huh? Okay. And so here he comes, lowly riding on a donkey, right? A colt, a fool of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from the Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. He has a message of peace. And who is the message of peace to? To the nations. Yeah. Not just to who? The Jews. Isn't that something to think about? Okay. If again... They read and believed their prophecies and meditated upon them. The church, the mystery of the church, wouldn't have been as profound to them because it was already being prophesied that it was going to happen. And then we see his majesty because his dominion shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. How far will the dominion of the Messiah extend? How far will the dominion of the Messiah extend? Huh? Yes. <laughs> That's a good answer. You're good. Yeah. Well, I was going to say from, for, from one sea to the other sea, which is which, what it says. But that means we're everywhere. Okay? But I like yes, because we're only thinking earthly, and we say from sea to sea. But the reality is, his dominion extends where? All the way. You know, <laughs> we think so dimensionally. You know, time, space, matter. And the fact is that God's outside of all that. And so... But in my brain, I've got to think time, space, and matter. He, he reigns forever. He reigns 
spatially everywhere, and he reigns in everything, you know? I mean, that's where you can almost... Pantheist, you know what a pantheist is? What's a pantheist? They believe that God is in everything. And you can almost get where... I, I shared this in one of the classes, um, uh, institute classes I, I, I did. And you can almost understand where pantheism comes from because the fact is God is in, if you would, materialistically speaking, everything. He is everywhere. But he is not that thing. He's not the chair. I'm praying to the God of the chair. Well, that's not it. That, it but God is everywhere present and throughout everything because everything is held together. How? by the word of his power. It's just so fun. Anyways, so to think about this whole process, right? And here he is, Philippians chapter 2, you know, tells us that that Christ was in the very morphe, the very nature of God, thought of not robbery to equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of man. And being found in likeness in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. How cool is that? That God who is beyond anything I can comprehend bound himself into a a man that he might enter into Jerusalem and die for me and to die for you. And yet he reigns throughout the entire world and the entire universe. Well, this brings confusion to... Who? The disciples. Now, this is kind of backwards, isn't it? You'd almost think this was the cry of the disciples and the confusion of the crowd. But it's the cry of the crowd and the confusion of the disciples. Because now the disciples, they've been hanging out with Jesus. If anybody should have a, a clear understanding of who Jesus is, it ought to be who? The disciples. I mean, the crowd just hearing the testimony. They're, they're, they heard about Lazarus. Now we're going to see that some of the who were there when Lazarus was raised, they're there, and they're really pumped and excited about it. But the disciples, they're looking at the thing and says, the disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, means what? When he was what? When he was resurrected, when he was raised from the dead and ascended, right? When Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that he had done these things, or they had done these things to him. And so, while they're in the midst of it all, they're struggling with it. Because it's not what? It's not adding up. But it was adding up. But they were being distracted from the truth by the events of the moment. They were being swept up. Does it make sense? And I've got to be careful. Okay? God wants to be worshipped how? In spirit, but also in truth. Okay? And, and, and both those things are there. I've got to found my emotions on truth. Okay? My truth has got to be there. And so these guys, when did they finally get it? When Jesus was resurrected, but then what? What did they do then? They realized that there were prophecies. Do you see it? They remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. They remembered the prophecies. They went back to the writings, the scripture. They read the scriptures. When, when Paul was at Berea, 
right? The people of Thessalonica, they were, they were trying to wipe him out, right? Some believed, but a lot of them didn't. But when he went to Berea, how does Luke record the believers or the people of Berea? That they were what? More noble. They were more noble, okay? He wasn't dissing everybody else saying, well, these guys are noble and the rest of them aren't. But he said they're more noble, okay? Why were they more noble? They search the scriptures daily. What did you say, Steve? Uh, other Steve, Steve Moody. They search the scriptures to verify that what they were being taught was true. Now, that's an interesting statement. They search the scriptures daily. That's, that's exciting. But why did they search the scriptures? To verify that what they were being taught was true. They didn't just believe what Paul said to them. Okay? Now, this is an important thing. It's Paul's who? probably one of the chief apostles from the perspective and most of the writings that we have from the church perspective are from him. But the Bereans said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not following that whim. It has to be based upon what? Truth. And if it's not based upon truth, we're not following it. And, and Paul, so Luke is writing this, but Luke is Paul's penman. And he says that they were the most what? They were the most noble. Okay? They searched the scriptures daily to find out what was said. So, so the disciples, after the fact, they're searching the scriptures and they find out all this stuff is true. But they shouldn't have necessarily been confused. I mean, they should have all been there. Jesus has been telling them, look, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be offered as a sacrifice. And after three days, I'm going to raise from the dead. He's been telling them, if you remember going back to the book of Matthew, when we said the book of Matthew, he tells them at least three times before they go. He's preparing them. They're just forgetting. They're forgetting. We need not to be forgetful so then we have who (laughs) the pharisees so there's the disciples they're they're watching this whole thing and they're like wow i just this is amazing the the pharisees no they're pretty frustrated they're like look we keep talking about wiping this guy out but nobody ever does anything about it look now he's entered into jerusalem and everybody is swept up in this jesus thing Do you realize that that's what's going on for thousands of years? The rulers, the religious leaders always want to stamp out this Jesus thing. But in times of persecution, the church what? The church grows. I'm praying for Afghan, Stan, praying for Afghani believers. But the reality is you cannot stamp out the word of God. And I don't wish on them persecution. I don't wish on myself persecution. <laughs> Make sense? But the reality is, when people see people die for something, they begin to realize what? It must really be real. It must really be worth dying for. That's when I, so when I say that, you know, I believe Jesus died on a Thursday and I'm willing to die for that. You know, there are certain things I, I believe, like, ah, oh, you know, I can give or take on that one. But there's certain things that are truth in God's word that I've come to understand. And I, I it's truth. It's truth. And we've got to make a decision where that line is. Well, for these guys, 
we read, Therefore the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. <laughs> you got these people, all of a sudden, they're being emboldened, right? And they're starting to testify and telling everybody else, Yeah, this is the guy. This is, this is the guy that, led, that raised Lazarus. He was dead for four days. By this time he stinketh. And we open up the door and this guy comes bobbing out, you know? And, and we have to unwrap him. And there he is. This guy should be totally starting in the, the decay process. But no, he's walking, talking, all this kind of stuff. It's amazing like he never died at all. Don't you wonder if Lazarus is in Jerusalem that day too? How cool would that be, huh? Maybe he's riding, walking beside Jesus, you know, and, and that's where all the testifying's going on. Do you see the guy next to him? I mean, that's the guy. He was dead, man. Literally dead, dead. I saw him die. I saw him being buried. I know he was dead. And I know he was in the tomb for four days. That's why there was a lot of people. Remember, every from, everybody from the village of Bethany was there. There was a lot of witnesses. They couldn't be, oh, well, I don't think so. I mean, it was only Miriam Mother who was saying that. Maybe it's all contrived by Jesus. It wasn't a contrived thing. And so now the, the, the Pharisees, like, for this reason, the people also met him because they heard and had done this thing. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing what? Nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. That's an interesting statement because we're going to come to the next step for a moment. The world has gone after him. This tells me this isn't just localized anymore. Jesus keeps telling everybody, don't tell anybody. You know, miracle happens, and he says what? Just keep this to yourself. It's kind of hard to keep to yourself that I was born blind, and now all of a sudden I see. You know, aren't you the, aren't you the guy that was begging at the, at the gate just like yesterday, like you couldn't see? I mean, you've been there like every day that I know of. Aren't you the guy that was lame? I mean, you couldn't walk. You were sitting at the pool, the pool of Bethesda, and like you couldn't move how is it that you can walk now weren't you a leper weren't you living in the leper colony how is it that you're like clean could you imagine all these things that have gone on and jesus has done aren't you the guy that had like all these demons in you and you were breaking chains and you were your hair was like oh you know and all this kind of stuff i mean i heard about when the pigs went running into the into the into the sea of galilee aren't you the guy that caused it Yeah, so yes, in Galilee, yes, specifically at the house of Peter. And that whole evening was a a healing night, you know, and everybody who came. And so there's demons cast out, there's people being healed. I mean, even to the point of even Peter's mother-in-law, it was just fever being taken away. Jesus didn't do it for show. But people talked. People talked. And now the whole world, <laughs> this is his enemies talking. Now the whole world is going after him. They're receiving him as Messiah. There's no other way to put this. He's entering in during the feast of Passover, or the beginning phases of it, and he's being received as Messiah. They want him dead. They are so frustrated. But this is the exciting part. This fourth group is exciting to me. we got the curiosity of the Greeks. This is what prompts these Pharisees, because it's not just Jews that are there. you got Greeks, and this is the, literally the word for Greeks. These aren't just Hellenized Jews. These are Greeks, okay? People from the nations, okay, that, that have come, 
maybe they're proselytized to Judaism. They, they've come to, um, so according again to the law, three times a year, the Jewish men were required to come to Jerusalem. Passover, um, the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. Okay, And so three times a year they were required to come. These are seven-day feasts, and they were required to come for those. So the seven-day feast for Passover literally is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so it becomes an eight-day feast, and that's where all the confusion comes in the different Gospels because Passover is really an, only a one-day feast, but then John refers to it as the, the preparation day because it's the preparation day for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. <laughs> so it sounds like the Passover is a seven-day feast, but it was really Unleavened Bread that was a seven-day feast. But Passover becomes just a preparation day from their perspective because it's getting ready. So think about a Jewish person today. Okay, if you ever looked into it, they're getting rid of all their leaven. They're, they're sweeping their house. They're doing their, their house cleaning, okay? Because that is the preparation day. It's really the 14th day of Nisan really is Passover. But in a westernized culture, we kind of lost a little bit of that, okay? Anyways, so these Greeks come, though, okay? These Greeks come, and look at what it says. Now, there were certain Greek among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip. They came to Philip. Did you ever ask yourself why? Way back in the beginning, Philip was going out and drawing people to the Messiah. Philip then turns around and he goes to um, Andrew. And Andrew and Philip go to Jesus. But they go to Philip. And they go to, they go to Philip and they say, we want to see Jesus. Have you ever had anybody, and I want you to, don't just answer this right away, but I want you to think about this. Have you ever had anybody come up to you and say, I want to see Jesus? They may not have said it for bottom, literally. Hey, I want to see Jesus. But just think about it. Has anybody ever really come up to you and they really want you to witness to them? You know it. Down deep inside, you know what they need and what they're really asking for. And you bailed on it. Because you were afraid of how they would respond. The second thing I ask myself, not just why did they come to Philip, my second thing I ask myself is, why did Philip go to Andrew? <laughs> they want to see Jesus. Here goes Andrew. So my fourth son's name is Andrew Philip. And it's after this passage. My prayer for him is that he will be able to lead Greeks, if you would, to Jesus. That they'll look at him and they'll say, this guy can show me Jesus. I want to live a life that people feel comfortable coming to me, feel comfortable coming to me, and say, I want to know about this Jesus of yours. What makes you different? What makes him different? I don't have a lot of time, and we're going to cover this passage again with next week, but I want to go into this, and that gets into the instruction of the light, because Jesus' response here. They, they come to Jesus, and they say, look, there's some Greeks here that want to talk to you. 
Okay? But Jesus, we're told, answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies and remains alone, but if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Jesus doesn't say, well, bring him to me. Bring him to me so we can talk. Rather, he turns around and he starts focusing again on what? The fact he's going to die. He's going to give them an answer that not necessarily is the answer they're going to want to hear. But it's an answer that we need to tell people when we witness to them. It's not all hunky-dory coming to Jesus. It's not a, a life of wonderment. It is. But it is. But the other side is what? There's the potential for persecution, sacrifice. You need, you need immediately to be willing to do what? Lay down your life and to lose it. So Jesus gives, first of all, in this principle that he's going to give, the explanation a grain of wheat, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and it what? It dies. Do you ever think about that? Like when you plant a cucumber seed? You could have it sitting there and it could remain. You could actually, you know, like a pumpkin seed, you can actually heat it up and eat it and all that kind of fun. But when you put that seed into the ground, it literally what? It begins to die, it begins to decay. It pops open. And out of it comes a what? A plant. Another cucumber plant. A wheat plant. And what happens then when that cucumber plant or that wheat plant or whatever it is begins to grow? It produces a lot more wheat. It produces a lot more cucumbers. What did you say, Mark? It produces its own fruit. And so Jesus gives them this, this explanation. Look, this is what's going to happen. I'm about ready to be what? Planted. I'm about ready to be planted. And if I'm planted, <laughs> I'm going to what? I'm going to spring forth and bear fruit. That's exactly right. You need to be willing to do the same. And so we have then the exhortation. He who loves this life will then lose it. He who hates this life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You have to be willing to lose your life. Matthew stated it, that um, he who seeks to keep his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will what? Find it. The reality is, you need to be willing to lay down your life on behalf of Christ. We'll start there next week and go quickly over it. But Jesus then goes to this promise where he says, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? <laughs> no way. But for this hour, this purpose, I have come. And then he just throws out this prayer. Father, glorify your name. How cool would it have been that day? And as he says, Father, glorify your name, all of a sudden, what? <laughs> Some people thought it thundered. But Jesus, no, no, the voice came. You know it's a voice. And it came for your, for your benefit right now. So that, again, there's another what? 
There's another sign. I mean, how are you going to go away from this? I have glorified it. <laughs> and we'll glorify it again. You know? And so this is an amazing thing. So, But Jesus then, he goes on. Okay, where I want to focus on is that blue part. Verse down to verse 31 says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That's Satan, Revelation. You can read about that stuff, right? Okay. Now he's going to be cast to the earth. He says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And so I mentioned this way back in John 6, that, uh, again, Calvinists look at the passage in John 6, where it says, that in, 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 Unless the Father draws them, you can't come. In the word helcho. And I said, when we get to John 12, you know, you see the other end of this, right? Because this is the exact same word. Okay? And you got to be careful saying that this means drag and all this kind of stuff and how they interpret it. Because that's how they, they, they lean on that and say, well, only these certain individuals can come. But the reality is, Jesus says, and if I be lifted up. Was he lifted up? Yes or no? Are we in agreement on that? Well, he's, hallelujah. He then says, and if I be lifted up, I will what? I will draw all men to myself. So the same word, word, single word, helko, from the, the Greek, okay? Be careful of making theologies upon, uh, not context, but word, okay? The same word that you want to stand on, not you, but you get what I'm saying, that, that's going to say that only certain people can come. is the same exact word that Jesus just said, that there's going to be universal salvation. No, I don't believe in universal salvation either. Do you get it? Okay. But again, if I only took this passage, a little thing right here, and took this by itself, using this word, that's what you got. Because if you take it the same way, Jesus says that if I'm lifted up, then I'm going to what? I'm dragging everybody to myself. But as we looked at it then, what's the point of it? He is going to draw. And so he tells, we're going to see when we get into John 14 and John 16, that he's sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's already been there. And what's the job of the Holy Spirit? Is to convict the world of righteousness, judgment, and sin. God is drawing all men. But he gives us the right to say yes or no. Now, are there some that he doesn't even... Yes, I mean, Paul clearly didn't have a choice. I mean, he says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks, man. You're going to come. Just give it up now. Just, you know, and he brings them the lightning bolt, you know, the sun in the sky. So Paul's like, he doesn't really have a choice. Jeremiah didn't have a choice. John the Baptist didn't have a choice. There are individuals who really honestly don't have a what? They don't have a choice. But that's not what we read in the rest of Scripture. First Timothy 2 tells us that God desires all men to what? To be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what a promise. I believe it. I believe that Jesus is drawing every man on the face of the earth. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he really wants everyone saved? I believe it. That's what I go out witnessing. I don't go out just so I can find the elect, although from Timothy we saw even yesterday, right, that Paul says, look, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to proclaim the gospel so the elect can hear it. So I don't know who the elect are, if they're the elect. Makes sense? Who has a choice and who doesn't have a choice? Or who that kind of stuff. The point is, I believe that God desires all men to be saved and that Jesus is going to draw all people and he's going to use his word to do it. And so, no, go for it. Wait, wait, wait. Where's the mic? Sorry. Yeah. So I always got to think about the people on Zoom and, and then also as we record it, the people who are going to hear this later. Because there are people who actually watch the the, um, the YouTube and just, I, and I haven't shared this for a while. Every once in a while, I'll look at our stats on um, 
just in, in the first 15 days of July, we had 12,000 people hitting our website for a half an hour or more. 12,000 in just 15 days. That means there's almost 1,000 people a day who are listening to our messages. That's pretty, like, beyond me. Anyways, and yes, I mean, we're talking about there's hundreds of thousands of hits, and so I understand who all the bots are, computer guy. Anyways, so you get rid of all that. I'm talking about these are people who are on the web page for over half an hour. That's nuts. Anyways, so you're going to be heard. Go ahead. <laughs> cool. Um, are you saying that he draws all people, but not all choose to respond? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, yeah, 100%. I, I, I get the tulip thing, you know? I mean, because irresistible grace, you know, where they say that you can't say no to God. And I don't know how all that plays out, okay? I'm, I'm not here to, and I'm the, I'm the authority in all this. It's a mystery to me, okay? It's a full mystery. God predestines by foreknowledge, okay? So don't forget Peter and all that predestination stuff, okay? He said that we're elect according to foreknowledge, okay? And so God tells us in Romans chapter 8 that he predestines us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what the predestination is all about, okay? And so there is this chosen, elect, predestined side. I believe it. 100%. I'll die for it. <laughs> but there is the, the, the whosoever will may come, that God desires all men to be saved, and all this kind of stuff, and I believe it. How do they come together? I ain't got a clue. And I don't care! I don't really care. Why? This is not my job. This is God's job. Go ahead, Dudis. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, Mark's saying, ah, oh, here we go again. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I was just, he wasn't looking that way. Brain turn. <laughs> good. I hope I saw that. Let my people think. Anyways, that was, uh, what's his name's line? But, yeah, Robbie. So, and I think in, since there is, well, the fact that there is a hell, says not all choose to yeah, believe so although he all we're gonna he wants we're gonna all, get to right? that next week okay, okay. we're not going to get it to this week yeah. because literally you have to that's another one of these balance that you have to are you saved by accepting christ as your savior or are you not condemned or are you condemned are you saved are you delivered by accepting jesus as your savior or are you condemned by rejecting him as your savior and the answer is yes. Both, right? Yeah, 100%. Okay. It's yes. I mean, because, because again, we're, 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 the whole point here over these last two, three months, Jesus is forcing everybody to come to make a decision. You, you can't be on both sides. You can't straddle the fence. You're one side of the fence or you're the other side of the fence. And sadly, in the United States, we think we can straddle the fence. That was unheard of in that day. He's either Messiah or he's not Messiah. He's either God or he's not God. Who is he? So he promised that he'd draw everybody to himself. And then he petitions the people. He petitions them. Look, a little while, the long, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk! There's two commands here. Walk! While you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. While you have the light, believe the light, that you may become the sons of light. Do you get it? He's the authority. He doesn't need to plea with the people. But he's pleading. It's his petition. 
He's imploring you. Look, the light's only going to be here a little bit longer. Quit playing around. And so, if you're here today, if you never accept Jesus as your Savior, and you're saying, I'll do that later, you don't know you have tomorrow. You don't even know you have later. Quit playing around. You only have the light a little bit longer. Believe while you have the light. You say you're a believer, walk in the light. Again, going all the way back to the beginning, 1 John chapter 1. God is light, in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. Jesus is imploring us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Or he is the light, actually. So back in John 8, then said Jesus to those Jews who, what? Believed him. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Set you free from what? Sin sets you free from darkness. I've come from the darkness to the light. That's what it's all about. And so, in the end, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Is he God incarnate? Is he Yahweh in the flesh? That's who he is. And if he isn't that to you, you've got to analyze where that's at. In which group would you have been at the entrance of the light? Would you have been the crowd? Would you have been the disciples? Would you have been the Pharisees? Would you have been the Greeks? Now, I know you say, well, I'm the Greek because I'm not a Jew, but you get what I'm saying. Where, where are you in that? Are you crying out with worship? Are you confused? Are you having consternation? Or are you just kind of still on the outskirts, a little bit curious? Have you believed in the light? Are you walking in the light? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. You alone are God. There is no other God but you. You have expressed yourself. You have revealed yourself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus declared that the Father was in him and he was in the Father. You are one. And the Holy Spirit is one in essence with you as well. I don't understand all that, Lord. Such things are too wonderful for me. But I, I give you the glory and I give you the praise because you have revealed it to be true. And I have experienced, Lord, your, your grace and your mercy in my life. I have known your leading and your guiding. I have known your convicting of your Holy Spirit through your word and through your people. Lord, I pray that you would help us as believers to walk in the light. Oh Lord, we know that as you've told us that darkness is going to increase. Lord, I pray that we would be prepared for that moment and that we would walk boldly for you. Lord, that there would be no confusion um, regarding whether we are believers or not. But that as Philip, Lord, people will desire, they'll want to be able to come and, and to talk to us and to have us be able to um, point them to you, to, sh to reveal you to them. Lord, I want to be a Philip. And I'd love us to be a, a, a body of Philips from that perspective. Be magnified in Christ's name.
Amen.